Welcome, everyone. This is a very special episode of the DPL podcast. And that's right. This is the podcast, not the scuffed cast. I am one of your hosts, Zombie Bacon. I am here with Donut. Donut, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Mm-hmm. 100%. That's great. That's great. And what makes this episode so special is we have secured the bag, the man, the myth, the legend himself, Bard. Bard, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. How are you guys? I'm good. Yeah, we're doing good. Um, so, big day today, huh? You know, I guess I guess you could call it that. Huge. Um, like it is, it is rather big, yes. Yeah, it's rather big. <laughs> I think this is single-handedly the the most anticipated update for from everyone. Period. Um, particularly, um, the competitive community has been chomping at the bit for this. I know. Um. Uh, I think this has been the only topic of discussion when due process came up outside of league play um, was customization. Yeah. And that was literally every day for the past four or five months. And now it is here and it is, you know, if I do say so myself, part of my professional opinion, quite <laughs> sick. And nice. uh, it's, it's really good to have it. And we're here to grill you on some questions about the game. So sure thing. I'm actually really, really glad to hear that you guys like it. So cool. Yeah, it's, it's it's been really really interesting you know seeing like all the all the hype around it and i mean it, it was a you know at least among the internal testers and all the people in the know like just the readiness for this to happen and for just being able to see it you know it, it's really been something different well i think beyond that at least for donut and i oh, as yeah. members of dpl we can't compete in the league so um especially for myself moving up from a, as a player to staff member that kind of took away a lot of what I enjoyed about the game is I could no longer play in it competitively. But now I think this makes the casual experience so much more rewarding. And mm-hmm. uh, also now I get to, I get to look funny. At least uh, I think the first full character outfit I unlocked made me feel like a liberal arts professor at my community college, <laughs> you know? And so it just kind of, that's what it feels like. And to be able to do that and have that kind of introduce that sort of personality into this game. Cause like we started it's going to sound cringy, but we started, like, role-playing <laughs> in the game. <laughs> but it's so it adds another level of fun to an already really great product. And also, you guys have fixed a lot of things, like a <laughs> doorbug. Yeah. Um, that have kind of played competitive play for a while. And now, they're gone. So. I'm actually amazed to hear that doorbug is fixed. So, I'm... Oh. I mean, it's one of those things that you fix over and over again. And it's like, well, I think it's fixed, but it's, it's just really hard to replicate, yeah. you know? We'll never underestimate our ability to be able to break shit with our stupidity. Yeah, you guys should congratulate. I think it was Vince and Matt who worked on that. So, um, yeah. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just really stuck to hear that you guys are enjoying the customization. And I actually thought that um, the roleplay thing is quite cool. I, I hadn't considered that, but uh, that gives me of ideas of where to take things in the future. So that's that's really cool to hear. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. one of those where um, instead of saying I died with an Ingmar, I said uh, when I had my professor outfit on, I was like, I left my pop quiz test, like my pop quiz on my person. You have to go pick those up, please, before they burn. Um, pop quiz one tests, of I don't take those, man. Yeah, one of the best. I'm, I'm in grad school. I don't know what students do anymore. I just sit in a room for two and a half hours and pretend to listen. Oh, my God. I feel that, zombie. But being able to like play the movie characters, you know, like dress up as... 
whoever game character. I know Revenant just released a video about a bunch of you know, different dress-ups you can do, and it's it's been really exciting to kind of see what people have been able to come up with. You know, especially being able to role play. So I've started playing. Amazing. I've started playing like uh, the music from Heat and stuff in the background while I play, particularly on like the tile set bank. I'm just like, it just it it adds a level of like immersion that just like makes my five year old brain very happy. <laughs> That's very, very cool to hear. Like, uh, yeah, it is It is all quite silly and I think opens up a new aspect of the game that we've kind of been neglecting, which mm -hmm. is the expression, role-playing, all that kind of stuff. And, and we hope to actually expand on that in the future. Yeah, but we, we've been, you know, it's, it's really awesome, but a lot of people, you know, who aren't really nested in the community, you know, a lot of people who could be coming from this update kind of don't know who you are. And so... I was hoping we can kind of get, you know, what's your role at the company? Who are you, Bard? Uh, what do you do? And, you know, all that. So what's kind of like your role at Yek? Um, sure thing. I'm co-founder of Journey Me Crab, and I am basically the creative director and CEO of the company. And, you know, it all sounds very uh, exalted, but the reality is that I just started out working on this game with uh, Vincent very early on uh, and um, basically we've just been expanding our team very gradually over many years and that has necessitated me in more a coordinating role rather than directly contributing to the project now. but. Basically, if there's something wrong with the game, then I'm the guy to blame because I ultimately am the one responsible for all the decisions. So, um, yeah, so that's me. Um, what else would you like to know? I mean, a lot of people, you know, see the creative director or CEO as kind of this cabal that says, ah, you know, we've got to make profits, make money and all that. And so one of the things that, you know, a lot of people really is that with such a tight-knit community, you know, the DuPross community and more yeah, of an industry. Yeah, that's one way to put it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's um, really, like, how is, how is interacting with that? How is, have there any been challenges that you face as a CEO or a creative director when it comes to a game and a community like this? Mm, I would say the challenge is mostly internal. It's quite difficult running a company. Um, I think probably the best analogy is um, people say that helicopters are like a million moving parts all conspiring to rip themselves apart at any given moment. And uh, obviously you don't want your company running that way. So the fact that uh, it feels that way sometimes can be a bit overwhelming. But um, yeah, in the best scenario, I guess when I've done my job best, people are able to just do their work and don't need any input from me and, and things run smoothly. And um, yeah, I guess the other quote is that kind of stupid bender meets God gag from Futurama where, you know, the God galaxy tells him, you know, when he's done your job right, it's like no one really notices, you know, mm -hmm. haven't done anything at all. Um, yeah. Now I do want to ask though, with that with that push and like sort of conspiring to pull pull itself apart at any moment, um, being the creative director, you obviously 
creatively directed or you know take this vision and direct it towards what it is that we have um have there been have there been any aspects of that that have kind of um gotten pulled apart with it like within your sort of internal discussions like are there any aspects that you had tried for a while that you particularly remember that just didn't end up working or anything that uh you didn't think would work at first that has kind of come around to be a sort of key element into the game or has everything kind of been a gradual progression of just I, I don't know if I would, I think everything's been a good idea, but has there been anything that like hasn't quite worked out or you're looking to re-implement now as we, uh, we have customization and moving forward? Hmm. Things that haven't worked out and I would like to re-implement. Uh, does this mean like the health packs or something? Is that what you guys are asking about? No, I just, I don't know. I mean, cause I think a lot of the community now is really fresh. Cause like I joined when there were still things like cart and everyone talks about cart and I'm tired of talking about uh, cart, okay, yes. but just things like things that maybe you want to revisit, like, because customization has been this absolute monolith of conversation for so long. And I'm just wondering what's next. Like, where do you go from here? Do you just expand on customization and sort of fixing the game? But like creatively, where, where are you, where's your eye next? Well, uh, yeah, I think that, um, the, Here's the issue I take with that premise, right? Creativity is not the goal. It is the means. And what I mean by that is the the goal is to solve a problem, right? Like every, um, if you're making a video game, right? Um, particularly, I would say an online game, though I'd make the argument that basically any uh, game company is, is really a tech startup. Um, the, what you're doing at any tech startup, right, is you're trying to launch a product and then solve its problems to make it more um, successful, right? Uh, make it capture a wider audience. Um, and, you know, it's it's like Facebook didn't add, say, the, light bucket, or the like button as they, they were depicted to in the social network, right? Because it was like, oh, here's this moment of genius, right? Um, and it's the it's creativity unleashed, right? Though I think there's obviously um, that was worked into the story because I think it is universally deeply appealing to our, our like narrative instinct, right? But um, yeah, the the like button was probably added because it was devised as a way to increase user engagement, right? Um, and it's like the creative thing is, is figuring out, oh, well, we need this thing and, and identifying, well, this is why we need a like button is it allows people to say uh, non-verbally uh, signal approval or interest in things, right? When writing a comment can be kind of a bit laborious or like I think of the worst cases, a bit cringy if you don't really know the person, right? So the like button's like, it bridges that gap, right? It solves a problem. And for us, character customization, um, don't get me wrong, the reason why we chose the factions that we did was precisely with character customization in mind. Um, and actually, character customization was built into the very um, beginning of the player character, uh, like the, you know, the object that you move around in the game, right? The player prefab, right? 
I, I, I implemented a version of it, right? It just was really bad. <laughs> Ultimately had to be rewritten because, um, you know, it's slop job, right? Um, yeah. So character customization, we put it in, not just because it's like, oh, creativity, but we were somewhat creative in our approach, I think. And there was a creativity in making sure that we've got to, um, because it's like uh, you look at a game like Rainbow Six Siege, right? And both sides are like uh, counter terrorists for some reason, and uh, they're kind of limited to this. Uh, you know, they don't have. You can see it in like their weird X Defiant game. Now they've got like this punk rock shit going on, right? Um, so yeah, you, you, the creative thing is making choices like that, where it's like, okay, well, we want to like encompass the widest palette of expression that makes sense within our world. So, so choose a world that really binds well to that. Um, but yeah, I guess to answer your question of like where future creativity will be applied, it, it is in solving problems. Right. And actually the, my answer to like things like cart, cart and shield, why have been, why haven't they been done yet? Um, is they do solve a problem. Um, which is uh, uh, obviously they solve many problems, but I, I would say there are two big problems that they solve, right? One is uh, easy to explain, which is uh, they add two new fulcrum strategies to each side, meaning, mm -hmm. you know, as a defender, if you deploy the cart, the entire plan pivots around the cart's positioning and supporting the cart so that it can actually uh, deny an area to the attackers, right? Um, for the enforcers, right, the shield becomes a fulcrum in that, like, you support the shield so that it can make this push through a really contested space. And if the shield is sort of left alone to do its own thing, then it will probably get flanked and killed, right? Um, the reason why they haven't been prioritized for re-implementation is, oh, actually, I'm sorry. The, the other problem, and this is, I guess, crucial, is they also add uh, magic to the game. So, so, so the, the problem is the game lacks some of the magic that it did in alpha. I'm sure many of the alpha testers will talk about, right? And magic yeah. comes from a lot of different places, right? Like, it's mm -hmm. cumulative, you know? Like, every time you add magic to a game, in the best cases, magic interacts with magic, kind of like, you know, we've got like uh, water spells, put out fire spells and all that kind of stuff that we uh, imagine in other games, right? Um, magic interacts with other magic in emergent, unexpected ways and unlocks new possibilities. Um, and it just leads to like a lot of really, really cool shit. And uh, you... Clearly, if your game is lacking magic, the, the first thing you prioritize is putting the magic in, which is why game developers often say, you know, you got to first find the fun with your game. Um, what they're really talking about is like you, you have to find the magic, right? Because that's really what fun is, is you're interacting with something magical and, and it's fun. Um, so, yeah, if you'll permit that kind of nebulous explanation, uh, basically what it is is cart and shield they are very much known quantities in what they will bring to the game um i am very happy to put them in 
but the, the other problem, and this is sort of where the CEO hat comes on, is you also have to consider the opportunity costs of implementing things. And, you know, I believe that the cart and the shield will take us about six man months to implement. Um, and so if you have, say, six other things that would take a man month to implement, then you've got six shots at solving other important problems, right? And so, yeah, they, they will be developed. Um, the, uh, perhaps I shouldn't say this, but I will. Um, probably the best shot at them getting developed is for someone to say, uh, hey, I am qualified to under undertake this and sufficiently demonstrate that to me. Uh, and then we set them up with the project and a contributor agreement and we get to work on it. Um, because if we can add more tracks to the project in terms of what can be developed, then th that is an avenue. But, but until then, um, or until we can actually get around to it with the team that we have at hand, uh, there will be other really, really, and this is, you know, cause again, I get the magic thing is very important, right? Yeah. Um, but there's also other stuff, dynamics that exist in the game right now that delete magic, that deprive us of magic. And they have relatively simple fixes uh, imagined for them. And if we can simply implement those in the meantime, then while we're waiting for the carton shield to uh, finally make their way in, we'll have a much better game in the, in the meantime. Uh, and so that, that's really the uh, other part of my job is really managing priorities because unfortunately we only have so much time uh, and order matters. So um, yeah, I guess, uh, did that answer your question at all? I'm, I'm sorry. I think a lot, you know, that, that definitely answered. Absolutely. I, yeah. You know, it's really pulling back the curtain on that and uh, I, I think that's great because at least I, I work in creative fields as well, it, yeah, albeit in a different uh, capacity. But I will say it's it's really uh, it's really nice to see that you have found a balance because I think often, particularly with creative projects, um, finding that balance of uh, doing too many things and what order to do them in is uh, often compromised and leads, if not done correctly, leads to a poor product, unfortunately. And uh, hearing you say that, uh, at least for me, instills a lot of good faith that there's a lot of forethought going into things. Oh yeah, the I right mean, way. Order of operations is everything. Um, unfortunately, oh, right? Oh, like, God. don't don't say that. Don't make me think about math. <laughs> Young math. Is it Two different MDAS? I can't remember. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah MDAS. Oh God. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, and, and like. A good example, right, is like um, something, I guess, just a peek into our thinking is um, I should hesitate to do this more because sometimes people catch wind of what we're thinking about doing and it becomes very grand narrative about how we've been working on this thing for years and years and uh, it's such a enormous project and it's like, yeah, it's just been on hold for years and years because, again, the order of operations, right? Um, yeah, something that we're thinking about doing is um, whenever I watch DPL games, I can't help but notice that most teams use a uh, one charge, one 
round strategy when playing as the enforcers. And uh, it used to be that there was, say, like, <laughs> just double charge and then commit to losing, which is even worse, <laughs> right? Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, so th that's like, you know, we cart and shield would be a means to solve that. However, um, I would like to point out that in a forced eco, a cart on the green door is probably the worst position you can be in. And uh, in the best case for a succeeding attacking team, it, it, just because you have shields doesn't mean that you're going to necessarily use them for an eco round. You'll probably end up just using them to augment a really um, difficult push you make from a uh, uh, door charge, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like... Uh, yeah, what I'm trying to hint at is we want to add another tool to the attacker inventory to break them out of the uh, one charge, one door meta uh, and get them in a position where they can really start thinking a bit more creative or creatively and um, innovate in their approach instead of just kind of being forced to play the meta of each map, which is kind of like if people are doing that in our game, then we've truly failed because what's the point of... You know, a game that requires map knowledge spanning, you know, dozens of map maps in like a partially weekly refresh catalog, right? It's just it's such a horrible split of the difference that I, I just can't stomach it. Um, so that I'll leave you guys to speculate on on what that might be, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, we we like that's the kind of stuff that um, we're thinking about, and and other things that we want to solve. Uh, involve, say, um, you know, in the spirit of solving more problems, I, I, whenever I play like the 10 mans, there's excruciating moments where you're just kind of waiting for the next match to begin and, or next round, right? And there's nothing, there's just no point to the waiting, you know? Mm. Um, and, you know, more broadly, there's, obviously a lot of complaints in our negative steam reviews about how there's too much downtime in the game. I would say some of the reviews come from, they just don't get that this is supposed to be a game where planning is necessary. Right. Uh, but then the other part is, uh, legitimately like there is just too much wasted time. And, and actually my, I, I love to play games that are quite, um, How do I put this? Clearly their focus is not on creating the most uh, thoughtfully crafted experience. Let me put it that way. And the this is usually done at the expense of um, other, or I'm sorry, this is, that is the expense of other virtues that they're pursuing with their games. And, uh, that's why I play those games is that they go after, um, you know, more sophisticated virtues than, oh, we just want to make like a shooter that feels really, really good. Like for instance, like Modern Warfare, uh, I really respect that game because in terms of its movement and gun feel and all that jazz, it does feel really good, right? I just can't help but feel 
a sense of hollowness whenever I play it, though. Like, I just, I used to play a lot of Modern Warfare 4 when I, or, I'm sorry, Call of Duty 4 when, when I was a teenager. And um, yeah, I just, uh, I don't think I can really ever go back to that level of engagement because I've, I've grown past it. And so I play all these other crappy games because I, I need a, a better fix, right? But they they all, these crappy games have one thing in common, which is absolutely no respect for the user's time. And I guess on a very deep aesthetic level, I, I just, I can't stand that. I don't like having my time wasted. It grinds away at my soul. And I don't want to make a game that inflicts it on other people. Um, that said, I that doesn't mean that we necessarily are trying to make a game that's like, um, you know, got to go fast and we just can't stand any moment of respite or, or downtime because that's very much what Call of Duty feels like, right? Like the loop is very tightly and intentionally crafted to keep you engaged and not let you ever stop, right? Like you're just the energizer buddy with, bunny with a gun. Um, yeah, and, and like, hey, it's hard for me to argue with the success of that game in that a lot of people um, religiously enjoy it, right? Um, but I also just think that, uh, there's a lot to be gained from the tactical deployment of downtime. You just have to do it tactically instead of just, um, in error. So got a tactic to tactics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So one thing that, um, you know, a lot of the the content, the workflow and respecting people's, I guess you'd say time, you know, customization was that content and that thing that everyone's looking for you know people were saying that hey i i want i would love to play this game you know but i want some reason some to spend my time in it you know and kind of achieve that with customization well a big thing though is that this customization thing and i think a lot of people are kind of surprised is that it's not a paid add-on you gave this out for free to everyone and so i kind of wanted to get your opinions on you know monetization why did you why did you make this free uh like in the future what would monetization look like if you can't say anything about that and really as a kind of a broad very broad thing is that what what is customization you know do for this game overall because it's been this asked topic for who knows how long you know i think since the start of the game what asked for something to work towards and customization now is that so really now what you know to that point i think ever since the game went uh into early access out of alpha that's been one thing i've always heard is particularly in like uh season two of dpl every new player i would come across be like when's customization when's i want it yeah i want Um, it uh yes players do get very impatient um you know i i think actually (laughs) gabe newell summed it up very well with uh he was banging on like a crowbar like um blacksmithing a crowbar (laughs) and he looks up after being asked you know where is half-life 3 and he says it takes time and yeah obviously uh development does take a great deal of time we're in the business of crafting really really complex systems um like yeah, I, let's not get into the complexity. Um, yes. 
And I don't mean just like uh, spaghetti noodle bowl complexity, which is, you know, the kind of ex- accusation that people hurl around about game developers. It's like, they don't know what they're doing. It's just a bunch of spaghetti code. And it's like, yeah, that is true because no one knows what they're doing. Very few games aren't spaghetti code. You know, they're crafted on different layers of um, well-authored complexity, but it's still complexity. You know, and there are all sorts of ramifications that come out of the way that we make games. And for any of the programmers out there listening to this, I encourage them to listen to, um, uh, I think the guy's name is Casey Muratori. Um, He articulates this brilliantly with, uh, he calls it the 30 million line problem, which is that you've got millions of lines of code between you of the me- you and the metal as a programmer and this leads to all sorts of consequences you know um so yeah i went into the complexity thing even though i wasn't supposed to but i guess the first thing i wanted to comment was um we mentioned you you mentioned before you said something about um it being free do you yeah, remember like what how- you said before don't yeah, and so a lot of people, you know, have been asking for this, and I think oh. there was this this idea of that it's going to be like a paid add-on. You know, I remember, I don't know if I'm supposed to share this, but you know, whatever. At this point, like, whenever we the test, it was called like, oh, it's Battle Pass, and some people got really angry about that. Oh, it's paid add-on, like this and this and this, and surprise, surprise, it's free. You know, and so I really wanted to kind of get the mindset behind that. Why is this free? Are, it oh, well, it certainly wasn't like in the in the in the future. Yeah, it certainly wasn't done out of fear of people saying, "Oh, battle pass," and then they did kind of like, um, it, anyway. Uh, they made a little frown. And what I'm trying to say is, um, here, let me go. The question that I actually wanted you to ask from before, uh, I remembered, which was, uh, you said certain people were. Um, they cited that their qualm with the game was that uh, they they weren't kind of taking away anything. They didn't feel like they were earning anything, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I would hope that anyone in the DPL understands really what you stand to earn from this game, which is, I think, um, of perhaps foremost importance in this modern era is uh, an authentic community to belong to because we often um, misuse that word community. uh, And it seems like the understanding of what that is has been completely lost to the ages. Um, You guys have become a very tight knit and i wouldn't say a group of friends because not everyone likes each other in a community right but you've become a real community out of this right and so i think a there's your takeaway you know um that's probably the most valuable thing and i know that when i played halo 2 for god's sake right i ended up with a couple of friends that were lifelong friends out of that experience you know um and i hope that i can um, at least bestow the opportunity for that to happen to, to other people. Um, the other thing, though, and I think this is because, frankly, like any game can offer that, we we intend to do it much better than other games, but we'll see. You know, There's a lot between intentions and reality. Um, but 
the, the you know the, the other thing that I think is a takeaway from this game, right, is uh, I think a more genuine understanding of uh, tactical principles and uh, sort of like the the application of strategy at the tactical le level than most games can provide. Um, I, I'm actually working on something that asserts that really no other tactical shooter is a tactical shooter as defined in the 2000s, um, at least not in a player versus player context. Um, and yeah, I, I think that we do stand alone in that regard because we really are focused on tactics and teamwork as to what this game is about. And I don't think that we're succeeding pretty well in that, by the way, like I think we're kind of fucking it up in a lot of ways, but um, at least our spirit is in the right place where it seems like uh, the, the big three tactical shooters out there are all universally focused on uh, the individual application of skill. Uh, that is to say headshots, right? Like, and there's a lot that contributes to that moment, right? And there may be even some really sublime teamwork, right? But on, you don't load up CSGO and, and just play a random ranked match and get teamwork, right? Like you get five dudes running around saying like the totality of their strategy is rush B, right? That That's it. Who could you know? be it? Exactly, and some colorful, uh, <laughs> colorful language, and garnish. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's the cool thing about our game, right? Is it's like you know, there's a lot that this game can offer, in kind of like, um, like one of the um, my the games that I was talking about, games that I play that I think offer something really, really cool, but do so in a really shoddy way is uh, War Thunder. I like to play the air realistic battles in that game. Uh, I have no patience anymore for the tank shit. Um, it's, yeah. It's, it's just... The tank shit is just the... It's like a tidal wave of all of the time-wasting and tedium, and, and the stuff that I'm mad about is just, like, multiplied by 10 there, you know? At least you can just alt-tab in a plane and watch a YouTube video while the game wastes your time, so... Um, my point is that um, that game, when it's operating at its best, gives you this really uh, sublime access to, or I'm sorry, the, the access is normal, right? It gives you ac access to the sublime elements of uh, flight combat. And I don't use that word lightly, actually. I, I think that... Um, you know, why people watch ballet is, uh, or any of like the, the arts, right? Um, I suppose one of the reasons why, um, but typically is the case in like the really high fluting crowds, right? Like if you're watching, uh, ballet or, or you really like classical music or something, right? What you're supposed to be there for is that these supposed fine arts, right? Are, um, attempting to 
uh, generate the sublime right mm -hmm. before your your eyes, right? That's why you go watch Swan Lake or whatever. Um, well, yeah, I, I think that there's sub sublimity in, in many, th I mean, there's, you can find the sublime in a basketball game, right? Like that's why people watch sports is, you, you know, that what do you see in the highlight reels or, or the overwatch play of the game? What the hell do you think that is, right? Like the whole point of the player, the play of the game, which is genius is to find the best candidate for a sublime moment. And sometimes it's just kind of silly and stupid, right? But sometimes you're like, holy shit, right? Like you see like magnificent Genji play, right? And it turns out that the sublime is really damn common. Like it's it's everywhere. We just do a really bad job of um, getting me mechanisms to kind of provoke it, right? And mm. and that when I play that flight combat game, it's like, you know, just simple things like getting someone into a perfect stall climb when you're at similar uh, energy states. Um, it, it's just wonderful, you know. Uh, it, it makes all the tedium worth it in a way. Uh, and yeah, I, I think that our game kind of has the opportunity for those moments. It has the, the right bones to provoke it. And that's what you guys are watching for when you, when you're, um, playing the DPL, by the way, is, um, you want to see the sublime plays. And, and that's when I think our game really falls apart is, um, when it kind of fails to deliver that on, on the most competitive level. And a game ends up being just kind of a uh, predictable outcome or, you know, people just get crushed because one team is way better at aiming or something, right? Like, that's all sad and I want to fix that. And not by, like, making aiming valueless, but just, you know, it's all about balance and mm -hmm. figuring out the what's the best game that due process can be, Yeah, you know? Um, it, it's so fascinating to me that you bring up this uh, idea of sublimity um, because particularly, at least, my formal training is in music and um so oh, often yeah, i mean that's what music's for right yeah and uh, but it, it's interesting because it's it's such a romantic concept um the sublime is so you know where it really comes up in music theory and analyzation is obviously with beethoven that's where everyone talks about it um and that sort of romantic and then even gothic era of sort of european art and then post post that we get sort of uh rejection of sublimity in a lot of ways and it's just it's really interesting hearing you navigate uh due processes position um within gaming as a whole and really searching for that magic that lies within the ordinary which i if for myself is i think sublim sublime pardon me and um no. like subliminal and all that kind of stuff and so <laughs> Um, it, it's, it's just fascinating hearing you talk about what is popular and what is not, because I, I think you're right. I think it's sort of, we, at least I, I used to play a lot of CSGO and I think the, sure the, 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 I mean, too much, man. It, it was, ooh. but you have an entire story about that. No, but what's the magic of that game was, I think, fueled by my sort of, uh, young nature of wanting to just like um rocky montage my way to being the best and that never happened but playing due process it's really now that you pointed out i really kind of i feel that in the game so much and uh in an opposite way to how people have rejected the sublime in music with you know sort of 
points towards expressionism and particularly French music and all that, because that's all you talk about in classical music, music post Beethoven is uh, German or not German. That's literally all it is. <laughs> um, they are very romantic people. Yeah, very. Um, and hearing you actually in sort of the inverse in a lot of ways, I think, um, pushing away from the standardized norms to find that sublime and recapture that magic is really fascinating to me. And I just wanted to point that out because not often, particularly on this podcast, do I get to use my performance degree. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, but I think those degrees are valuable in that they give you uh, uh they unlock new ways to, um, I guess really what you're doing is you're abstracting, uh, your observations in in reality, right? Because you know it's like uh, uh, I don't know, an artist will look at a brick wall or something very differently than anyone who hasn't been trained in the arts. Um, they'll see nuances and how light plays off the cracks and all that jazz, right? Um, so yeah, I, I would say that you know it sounds like you're kind of uh, crapping on your music degree a bit. Uh, I, I actually think that the liberal arts are, are terribly valuable for that. Um, but, you know, perhaps a separate uh, conversation is how we need to rethink how uh, to... Uh, no, I'm going on a tangent. I, you know, it's we not, should fix a, education. <laughs> My no, point, it's, though. It's, yeah. Sorry, I was just going to say, too, because it's interesting to hear you talk about that, because I think in tangent with that... Um, they're uh, John Dewey. So if anyone's into art stuff, you should absolutely read uh, Art is Experience by John Dewey. Fantastic philosopher and thinker. But um, it also ties into what you had talked about with uh, creative direction, with uh, moving towards uh, art and the expression of the emotion to find the emotion. It's really interesting to hear you discuss that too, about you solve the problems creatively and instead of... Uh, creativity blooms yeah. from the experience and not from the want to be creative. And and that is basically all I do is, is quite simple. Really. Uh, you just recognize like here, you want to do my job, right? I, I'm kidding. Right. There's a lot more to my job than this. Right. But I think oh, the fundamental I, I aspect not of, do your job. <laughs> of creative um, direction, or I guess the creative navigation part is just um, find an aesthetic that allows you to identify what are good and thus desirable moments and what are bad moments and modify the um, game so as to remove the bad moments and retain or increase the good moments, right? Bam, that's creative direction. You know, it's, it's not hard. I think the hard part is actually finding the aesthetic. It seems, you know, like most people really don't, unfortunately. Um, I wish they did because they wouldn't fucking play these goddamn games that I have to play. Like the market would be totally different if people had a, um, I guess it's not, I'm not complaining that, oh, these people aren't sophisticated. I'm, I, I'm saying that if there was in the same way you can like go learn a music degree and then gain um, a greater depth of understanding about music and therefore a greater appreciation may become accessible to you, right? Um, there is no such thing for game design. 
um, because unfortunately, uh, it seems like all of the programs, um, at least in my time, or pretty close to all of them, uh, were bordering on on fraud. That is to say, they were simply schemes to um, get kids to take out government loans and then, um, yeah, keep them in a lifetime of of debt that cannot be, uh, you can't bankrupt your way out of it. Um, so yeah, I guess that's sort of where the education thing came from. But my point is, um, yeah, if we did have more sophisticated, uh, I guess you would call it thought leadership on games, then perhaps some of the market could move to like encourage developers to make better decisions and do things like waste less of our time and focus on the, the things that these games are really about, right? Because it's like, you know, in the case of, say, War Thunder, there are a lot of changes that I would make that would um, facilitate the... the Because um, that, that's really all you're doing as a game designer, right? You don't really create the sublime, unfortunately. Um, you create the opportunity for the sublime. And there's like a lot of skill in that. Um, but the problem that I have with single player games is like, oh, we're going to make our game sublimely good by adding this story. And it's like, you know, you just wrote a shitty adult or not, not, not a, what was it? Young adult fiction novel, oh, yeah. right? Twilight, yeah. Too. yeah you, you forced us to watch an even worse version of Twilight and people are losing the shit out in the game's press about it. And I'm like, oh, okay. That's why I only really play multiplayer games now. Because they're forced uh -huh. to recognize that it's like, yeah, you can't force the player to do anything. You can just incentivize them and disincentivize them. And that's it requires a lighter touch than guiding them through a cutscene. <laughs> but but, the, but the, the opportunity for that creation is such a unique oh, yeah. thing as well. I mean, it's like a, one of the reasons I have taken particular turns in my artistic journey as an individual is just... Um, uh, a recognition that I don't have the skill to facilitate that sort of environment where the sublime and sort of art, if you will, because that's what I do with art can happen. Um, and uh, there's such a skill in being able to create that. And I think you've created that in like such a really compelling way. But I also, I mean, I'm oh, biased. But, but I, that's I love the, the game. secret that I'm trying to convey to you, Zombie, is that. Yeah. Um, no, no, no. I am not the artist. It is the player that's the artist, right? I facilitate the artist. I'm basically creating an environment for you guys to be artists, right? Just like oh, when I, I play. I understand that. Yeah. Okay. No, I, I understand that. But I'm saying is there is uh, there is such an inherent skill that is different from the art that it takes to create that space. Um, in my practice, it's often, you know, everyone says people who can't do teach, and I. I actually don't agree with that. I think people who cannot teach do, um, because teaching is such a <laughs> such a for me. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's, teaching is such a difficult thing to do. If you've ever tried to sit down and explain a concept to anyone, because you're bridging this gap of, you have to realize that they don't have all of this context for you, and having to distill down years of context and training. Yeah. To be able Story to deliver it to someone else, yeah, it's it's ridiculously difficult, and um, I mean that's one of the things I do is I try to teach my team, but you know, in some cases I'm younger than my teammates, you know, and uh, it's 
And I'm also, I don't have years of distillation where I've refined my approach. This is the first time. In fact, I understand very little about what I'm trying to teach. And so, yeah, it's excruciatingly difficult to teach people, yeah. especially if you don't have the benefit of having messed it up for many classes and finally refined it into something coherent, right? Most of the time, I just sound like a contradictory, crazy person, you know? So it's, it's quite difficult, but yeah. Contradictions I, I, are what make life. I suppose so. Yeah. It's, you know, um, it sucks. Uh, I, I did actually want to to say about mm. the, um, the art thing, right? Like, yeah, I, I really do believe that all I am trying to do with this game and, and all games that I would make is just put you guys in the position of artist and, and make it as easy as possible to get those sublime moments. Right. And, and so, I suppose what I'm trying to convey is really a sense of humility because it is it is up to the players to actually appreciate the game um, and realize sort of what it can offer and and play it for that effect, right? And yeah. which is actually meant to be a very uh, specific segue back to the purpose of customization. Um, I, I hope your thing has like a rewind button, the title cards. Um, <laughs> to, to answer your original question, Donut, regarding uh, what is the purpose of customization, right? Um, well, it certainly wasn't meant to unlock the sublime. Though in this conversation with you guys, I've already written down two notes that I can maybe um, uh, help make that happen, right? Uh, it's just like... Uh, I would much prefer to make chess, honestly. You know, chess has no progression <laughs> system. Everyone understands that what you get out of chess is you play chess and you get better at chess and there's something deep that you learn out of playing. Like something important comes out of playing chess, right? Like it's it's rewarding in a profound way. Mm -hmm. um, I would love to just make that game and people be like, oh my God, this guy made, uh, you know, people call close quarter combat, uh, high speed death chess or something. Right. Um, yeah, oh, that would, exactly, that would yeah. be awesome, dude. Right. But, uh, you know, unfortunately I am not that skilled a creative director. And so really what customization is, is a crutch. Like people want progression in games. And I think they really want it because chess is, I wouldn't say it's perfect, but it's pretty fucking close oh, to but, it, right? But, but in that sense, we've also forced uh, customization, or not customization, but progression on chess with, um, you know, well, yeah, with uh, ratings, yeah, have. with ratings, you know, grant titles, internet, like, um, yeah, I, I suppose that's fair. I, I've, I've played chess for years and I, I haven't broken international math. Yeah, I, I, I actually, I have no off. qualm against those systems, though, right? Like, I think that, um, you know, we have a progression system. It's very bad in the game or had one before today, which was the ranked progression, right? And Ooh, well, we do, that? yes, we do intend to uh, do uh, less slapdash pass on that and fix it and make it actually, mm -hmm. you know, do its job. But um, yeah, that kind of skill-based progression and simply reflecting what you kind of know from playing chess that is to say how how much better you're getting right that's fine right i don't mind like quantifying displaying it and obviously you can't capture everything in an elo but if you think that it all comes down to elo then you're kind of a dum dum right like that's not the point of elo is to be like oh well i'm one i'm statistically one point higher than you right like it's you know 
Uh, my point, though, is, um, yeah, the, this other aspect of progression, right, that is to say that the time investment progression is basically because, yeah, you know, people do play games and they are kind of imperfect, right? I would say that if they were perfect, then like there, there probably is like versions of chess where you can unlock like different skins for your chess pieces or whatever. But yeah, that wasn't really necessary for uh, a thousand years. So um well, seems to do fine without it. It kind of was. They carved different types of sets, you know. Yeah, hey, yeah. Actually, it's a great point. But it wasn't. It wasn't. Yeah, that, yeah, was, yeah. that was. That yeah. was. That was different, different. ruthless, ruthless uh, uh, free-to-play monetization. Yeah, right? I, I, like, I carved this chess set out of the bones of my enemies. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah, that's um, so. Yeah, the, the purpose of the customization um, is just well, if you're gonna play a really imperfect object, then it would be nice to like get something out of it because you know, it's not perhaps the best application of your time. And so it, it feels good to get something good. And it takes the sting out of all the, I think, really bad moments in our game and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and of course, it's like a fantastic, um, I like player expression. Um, I think it's really cool to um, choose different characters and outfits. And, and I'd actually like to make that a bit more meaningful a selection than just... Uh, you know, I just have one guy and I put kind of like the best stuff that I've unlocked on him, right? Like, uh, I don't quite know how to do that yet, but I, I'd like to take it further and, and perhaps like innovate on customization and make it um, uh, just imagine cooler applications than just, uh, it's just purely a vessel for like status uh, display, right? Um, but yeah, it's just people really want progression systems. That's why everybody was like, I really want a progression system. I don't really want to play this game unless I have one, right? And I think kind of like the unfortunate thing and why there is a crowd of people that's like, battle pass, I don't want that, right? Is because we all kind of know that these progression systems are a bit manipulative, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, um, and yeah, like we didn't ship with a progression system because i was like our game doesn't need it it will just be it will just be good enough that it doesn't need it right and and that wasn't the case right like our concurrency has been really suffering over the last year and we believe in part it is due to a lack of a progression system so this is sort of a test of whether or not that's true um but yeah you know like uh the reason why the battle pass is free uh to answer that question is if you read the you know what little information is really out there about uh the kind of like free-to-play battle pass systems and that kind of stuff they all say kind of like the same thing which is if you want monetization out of the system don't expect much um, because there's only so much so much money you can make from like what it's ten dollars for a battle pass and a vanishing you know, 1% of people convert or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. um, the real benefit that it gets you is retention. You know, people will play your game longer because they're unlocking things and that makes them happy. And, you know, because like otherwise, it's just sort of a really zero-sum game because it's like every time someone has fun in an FPS, they did so by killing someone else and gave them unfun, right? Like in the process. And uh, I think the progression systems really 
uh, augment that reality a bit so that everyone can have a bit more enjoyment, right? Um, but yeah, you know, it's it's not to say that um, it's certainly not like microtransactions are never going to happen in this game. Um, it's not like I'm like, oh, they'll be here tomorrow. Um, but it's just more, uh, don't paint me out to be some kind of a saint where it's like, I promise never to do that because, well, I, I don't, I, it's unfortunate. Like, I don't know how to put this. If you, you said something earlier, um, about how kind of reflected on the image of CEOs, right? Because there's a lot of, you know, like the billionaire CEO, oh, they make a lot of money in their orders and they exploit people and blah, 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 right? Uh, and, you know. Classic take. Yeah, that that there's some truth to that take, but it's not the whole truth of what's happening. Um, and I guess to, without just going into that rant, uh, I'd just like to say that if I were at all financially motivated, I would never have founded a game company. It's such a stupid gamble to make. Like you just, what? I think it's like most games don't ship, right? So now you've lost all your money guaranteed. Uh, and then only a handful of the ones that do ship actually end up turning a profit. You know, like it's just an awful way to make money. If, if I were that type of person, I'd be like an energy drink CEO because they're like, all you do is just put a different combination of sugar water with a, a different label, right? And then you say I it's like up. made out of guava beans or some made up substance, right? And I then buy now, that. yeah, $12 a bottle and now you've got the next big thing. Yeah, that's that. Those people don't make games, right? Those people will sort of um, acquire and end up running games after people like me made something like really cool that people like, right? Like anyway. Um, yeah. But that said, I, what I'm trying to communicate though is that Hey, you know, like uh, software development or game development is part of the broader branch of software development, right? And it's like mm -hmm. something you got to consider when you're running a game company is you can't pay people as much as any other like big tech organization will do, right? I mean, like you're talking about those people, if they're truly competent, right? by the time they're say uh you know a senior that is to say can like mid-level engineer um they may be making 200 300 dollars a year you know and obviously you can't afford to do that with a game company um unless you you basically made Fortnite already um and what you offer is basically well you you're not working on like some AWS microservice or something, right? Like you, you get to work on a video game. That's pretty cool, right? So you're going to take like a massive salary cut. But these people, they still, you know, like they live in really over, um, overpriced city cores, right? And there's like this huge financial reality to running a game company. And, and I think that people attribute to, uh, sorry, I've got a, fire engine going uh, talking of talking about living in a city i under i understand where you're coming from being in new york i live right next to a police station man the, the, the oh, lights God. are on all fucking night in new york yeah i bet yeah um yeah so 
it's just it's tough because like you know people are so ready to say oh greedy developer greedy developer and it's like no it's developer like trying to survive you know like i there are very few um games out there even the ones that are doing very very successful right um don't really have enough money to um yeah, it's it's not a it's not an ideal position to be in to get rich. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah. So yeah, it really, it's just like that kind of monetization stuff really comes out of a need to uh, make up the the difference, right? And like you know, it's just all part of like really a, a game that you play with consumers is is pricing strategy. Like how much do you charge them to enter the game, and how much do you want to make in like the tail end? And people message me sometimes, and they're like when can I give you money for your damn game? And I'm like, oh, well, that, right. That's calling me out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and right now the answer is, well, just try to buy copies for people that, you know, you think might be interested in the game. I've literally bought a copy for every one of my friends. I know. Yeah. But maybe they have friends <laughs> of friends if you really insist. Um, nope. It's, it's every one of my friends list has two brothers. <laughs> anyway, my, my point is, um, yeah, it's just like right now the focus is. I I don't think that adding like a, um, what do you call it, the premium track of the battle pass or whatever is going to be so instrumental in increasing our attention. And that's really what we're focused on. Is not getting, oh wow, we made like, what, four thousand more dollars this month, right? Is is not like that would be quite staggering given our concurrency right like just doesn't make sense so you know we like anyone else we want to grow our game and make it really really good so that a lot of people play and enjoy it and then we want to give them you know optional non-coercive ways to um you know get more value out of or i'm sorry like you know to basically uh pay for things to show their appreciation to the game Right. And, you know, unlock cool shit that we made for them. You know, it's, I, I don't think it's such a dishonest affair. Right. I just think that really what happens is um, the whole like mobile free to play thing is this like hyper cesspit of it, it's really like uh, you're trying to inflict pain on people so that they convert. Because yeah, I'm sure you've seen those games where it's like, they let you play them for a bit and they're like, in order to play more, you need to pay us money. Have you oh, seen that God. kind of stuff? Yeah. Yeah. That's subject to that a few times. Yeah. And that's, that's probably the least sophisticated too, way like, to, mm -hmm. to do it. The more sophisticated, right. Is to just like quietly ratchet up the pain, but never prevent them from playing the game. Just make it excruciating. Right. Which is what a game like War Thunder does. Right. And it's like, yeah. you know, so, which is why like, you know, it's just, if you really value your own sanity, then you probably should just pay the piper just so that it goes away. Because at the end of the day, it does like, you know, it costs an enormous amount of money to run that game. I'm sure they're doing very well financially, but, uh, you know, it's just, hey, you know, it's, uh, it's capitalism for you. You know, it's not, it's not going away, it seems. Um, for sure. Yeah, but so. um, I think from here, I know uh, Donut and I also have some absolutely um burning questions for you about the game uh so 
you mentioned you watch DPL enough to understand the meta. Yeah. Um, first question, obvious question. Do you have a favorite team? No. That's a that's a lame answer. Dodging that shit. Yeah, that's a, what a lame Miss me with that shit, dude. Yeah, <laughs> lame answer. Man. Not even not I even like, Gek? Like, you play no. them? Okay, I like now, teams that are okay. How about can I may I answer this question in a characteristically oblique way? Oh, please yes. do. Uh, my favorite company of heroes player is a guy named Kodachrome. Okay, and this is back from like Company of Heroes one. I have no idea like if COH two is good because when they launched it was like a big mush pile, and I was like, oh, I'm done. This is clearly irredeemable. So <laughs> I don't know if they redeem themselves yet, but. Uh, the original Company of Heroes was like uh, had an esports scene. It was kind of like like this, right? I, I mean, ultimately, the game was way more successful than ours, so they had quite a few players in that league. Um, but uh, yeah, Kodachrome. I there were a lot of different players that I can still remember, and I respected them all for different reasons, and I look forward to watching the replays because you know you download the replay and play it in the actual game client, which is pretty cool. Um, and you could actually like just load up the audio track or a YouTube video and, and play it in parallel and, and not be subject to their like horrible camera management, right? Um, yeah, I, I like Kodachrome because uh, he was just really, really creative and innovative. And he would always use units that people were like, this is a dead unit. No one uses this. This is stupid. It's trash, right? And he would like whip them out and people just wouldn't expect them. So uh, he would always kind of get the better of people because he'd use all of these like non-meta plays, right? And that's very much what I want our game to be. And so I would say that the teams that, bu that best um, embody Kodachrome's ethos of, of innovative, clever play are the ones that I root for. So that's all you're going to get out of me. All right, so you, you like the creative teams. You want to see the game pushed. The boundaries Absolutely, of the yeah. Pushed. yeah. That's a good, okay, that's a better answer than I don't have I a like that. Yeah. And, and that I'll isn't to say that. that I don't respect people that um, really hone their basic FPS skill of aiming, right? Like, you know, all of the aiming movement, that kind of stuff, like, I appreciate all that stuff too. I really, I'm quite partial to Dr. Disrespect's rants on how games are inathletic, meaning uh, they just don't reward dexterity enough. They kind of jam you up by being clunky, and I think our game is certainly guilty of that. Um, yeah, like, I don't get me wrong, I love all that shit too, um, and I do want to see it in our game, but it, it sort of has to be held in tension to a game that is about making team plans come together, and, and that necessarily requires uh the reduction of um individual agency right which is why our game features these kind of like uh quite high time to kills right and also crucially features things like multi-shot headshots right is hey you know if you make a game where this is sort of like the aesthetic desire of the top three tactical shooters is that one player should be able to win uh, a 1v4 or 1v5, right? And it's like, in our game, that simply ain't so, right? Like, I, I would say that um, I intend for you, if you expend every mat or every piece of ammunition between both your primary and secondary weapon without reloading, that's the, like, you need to be able to kill all five people that way, right? 
Um, but I wouldn't say I want to make it especially easy, like just flick five heads and, and you win, right? Like, because those games already exist and, and that just deletes my game. Like you, you just can't make due process if um, individual agency is valued so highly. So I see. Now, moving on to a hot topic, really hot topic. Oh, God. If this um, is what I think. Yeah. So there's been a lot of arguments about the tub. Lately. Oh God, yes. Okay. No, yeah, there, there, hear me, hear me, hear me out. So there's been a really <sighs> compelling argument to me that the tub isn't supposed to be insane. Merchant, it's not supposed to be insane. Um, about it's an eco weapon. That's what it should it be. Is. Um, it is. but again, we we are not you. And I get that. I suppose so, that is true. This this question comes from none other than Mackie Moose. What? in your eyes, is the proper use case for the tub? Um, well, I don't think of guns and use cases, so may I okay. do the oblique thing again? What's the role the tub occupies, right? Mm -hmm. So this is echo echoing th this line of reasoning, just in the spirit of respecting the genealogy of ideas and not stealing them. Um, okay. Jamie Greisimer, uh, he developed the weapons for... Uh, Halo 1, 2, and I think 3, probably, yeah. Um, but obviously, it's not like the Halo weapons really changed for the better. <laughs> but they <laughs> changed. They, they changed. Yeah. I don't know. Not to dish. I think, actually, the new Halo is probably going to be really good, by the way. Uh, I just, um, yeah, I, I was not really convinced with all the, what do you call it? The floating rock guns didn't seem like a mm. powerful fantasy to me. Um, that's like the fantasy that Dr. Manhattan has, I guess, right? Um, so <laughs> what I'm trying okay. to say got is it, got it. <laughs> if an omnipotent god can have fantasies. Uh, so my, my point is, uh, yeah, he came up with, I don't know if he came up with it, but I, I liked walk, watching his GDC talks on it. Uh, talked about how guns have roles, right? And this is kind of obvious, right? Um, but really what you're trying to do as a weapon sandbox designer is identify what are the roles of all of the abilities and guns that you have, right? How do they interplay? And um, crucially, like, how, how, how does each thing dominate the role, right? Like, um, you know, and this is a crucial thing is, is it's really domination, right? You can accept nothing less because if you do, you get a mushy game like Company of Heroes, right? That is to say, you walk up like the flamethrower unit to the building and in Company of Heroes 1, it was like everyone fucking dies, right? And in that game, it was like you kind of just sit there watching this tiny fire and it was just totally unacceptable. Um, we don't want to make that game ever, right? And the, the kind of problem, right, is... Um, you know, you, you're trying to find different roles for all of these weapons, and it can be actually quite challenging to do so given the constraints of a game. And, you know, like in, in uh, Greismer's case, right, he like articulates really well how the uh, magazine capacity and the cycle rate uh, and say like the scope in time and all these like nuances contributed to the feel of the Halo sniper rifle, which say what you will of whether or not you like Halo's like 
feel, right? Like in terms of its role design, I think it's a masterclass. All the guns have different like specializations. There's there's definitely a right tool for the trade with every single gun. Like there, there's always a situation where some gun is ideal, right? Um, so we want to make that game, right? Like I think we're most inspired by Halo's weapon design in terms of that role um, strength. And for certain guns like the mop, it's super, super easy because it's just like you just dial everything back to the point of absurdity. Um, and it still works because the key thing that you have to do, and this is what I'm getting to, is it has to dominate the role, meaning like it's like the mop has to kill you in a headshot, right? It's a sniper rifle. You can't take that away. It ha- it has to be one of the few guns that can just delete you, just like in Halo, right? But unlike in Halo, right, like we didn't give it semi-automatic automatic capability. We, we actually, it was meant to be a magazine-fed weapon, and we went even harder on that and made it like a single-shot um, sniper rifle, which quite uncommon in modern day, right? Um, yeah, so why we did that was it's all about like this guy is playing backline support. He needs friends to screen for him. And you don't want him to be in a situation where he can just sort of like quick scope his way out of a fight or, you know, do any number of like abusive things. Like it's hard to get around like one shot, one reload, right? Um, Here's the problem, right? Is uh, obviously all the other guns are varying degrees. They don't have um, as strong of roles, right? As a sniper rifle, because that's like a power weapon, right? You know, the rocket launcher in Halo blows people up. Nothing else really does. Like, I guess the closest analog in my day would have been like the brute shot, right? And that wasn't the same role, right? It was like a different thing. Um, in in our game, right, there's still like a lot of assault rifles and that kind of stuff. So, so it's hard to, to get roles out of the kind of bread and butter weapons, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we do a pretty good job, all things considered. Here's the problem, right? Is it's like, well, is the tub a power weapon, right? Because like the the Halo shotgun also o- occupies the same kind of quasi state, right? Where it's like, well, it's not quite a power weapon, right? Like canonically among the game designers of Halo, right? Yeah. But it is like at the top of the like common weapons in terms of the decisive ability to end a fight. The shotgun is number one, right? Like it's very strong. Yeah, because it can one shot kill you. Yeah, it does its role to its absolute highest. And so we want, yeah, it's like, I think a pump action shotgun, crucially, it should be able to kill you in one kill. I think what you guys are experiencing are are mostly hit registration problems with with the gun. I would say that it is, that's a major source of its inconsistency. Um, But also there's sort of like um, some soul searching in like how to get that kill. is very important, but I would argue that basically the, the problem with the tub is really that it is straddling two roles. Um, and that is to say that um, shotguns are supposed to be kind of like the noob gun in many, many games, right? Because, um, you know, the logic is it's a shotgun, you can't miss, right? Um, well, yeah, it, it's just like if we made that gun, right, you can't miss, you just kill the guy, then it would be extremely powerful, right? And like you guys would destroy with the, it would, it would ruin the game. And so our shotgun, the tub needs to be 
uh, really high skill uh, one shot kill weapon. And that I think requires basically headshots as the, the means to get that kill, right? Um, still, I, I do think that you want it to be able to um, handle uh, a team in, in the way that it does in DPL rounds. Um, mm-hmm. I just, it needs to be more consistent. It needs to um, have certain aspects aspects of it tuned right for instance it's like a uh stockless shotgun right so it could be that this thing requires quite a bit of um timing skill to get back on target after firing the first shot you know that, that kind of stuff um and then i would say once you've got like the high skill shotgun what you can do is separate like you got to figure out a way to gate it so that uh new people don't pick it up and they're like oh my god i'm so bad right uh, and then you give them like the low skill shotgun alternative, which I mentioned in a previous uh, interview, um, could be something kind of like the KS-23 in Tarkov, which is a very reviled gun, by the way. Um, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I hope I'm not alarming people. I'm just trying to say that it's like, yeah, you definitely want to give people the like really brain dead shotgun so that um, really new people have you know like because they're like people that really like to hide in like a bathroom stall or something right and they need a way to play the game so that they can on-ramp onto it and hopefully come better so they never touch that shit again right um but you need yeah like such a gun would basically need to have its penalties for use ratcheted up so high that it's it becomes an impractical pick for any experienced player they're gonna they're gonna prefer to roll the dice with uh the tub or whatever, you know, that's just my thought on how to solve the problem. It could be, doesn't have to be say kiss 23. It could be like, I don't know, double barrel shotgun or whatever. Right. Like many ways to crack that egg. But, um, yeah, that's like, I, I don't like the tub. I never use it. So, um, fair. fair. I want to fix it. Um, but yeah, it's just sort of like, uh, again, tough problem. It is interesting you bring that up though, like with it being a stockless shotgun, because um, I I'm a firearms enthusiast. I like to shoot. I own quite a few firearms, at least well, not here in New York right now, but back in Michigan. I bet. <laughs> um, but back in Michigan, I have quite the collection. And um, mm-hmm. one thing I always hear in um, whenever I do classes or I take a new friend to a range or something is always like I personally. I always think shotguns are not the way to go because I think rifles are the easiest thing to use. Oh, for sure. Again, in my experience. And every, it's it seems so counterintuitive to what everyone who hasn't used firearms tells me because everyone's like, oh, yeah, shotgun, pistol, rifle. It's like, no, rifles are the easiest things to use um, in terms of experience required to become proficient. Um, so bringing up the fact that the shotgun is stockless is, uh, I think, for me with that kind of background, a really great way of understanding why um, some of the nuances are the way it's, way it is, because you can still get one pumps with the, uh, with the tub. I think it's just uh, in the popular case, a lot of the clips we see complaining about the tub, it's people running around and uh, missing entirely. Trying. Yeah. That's hey, the hit reg. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's not even, I, I don't even know if it's hit reg, if it's just a, you know, I was hoping so, you'd say uh, it, but it I'll is. say it. It's a skill issue. Uh, oh, my well, gosh. Yeah. Right, okay. <laughs> I, listen, I will say it is a skill issue, 
but that doesn't <gasps> mean Flip that uh oh that oh. that does mean that doesn't mean that the game itself is functioning perfectly right no, that, that's that's 100 understandable but uh now i got my clip i'm gonna anytime someone <laughs> yeah. talks about the tub now i'm gonna link the clip right. to I can I can hear it over and over again. Um, <laughs> yeah, so yeah I'm just saying you can play a pretty um, broken game with a lot of skill, right? Like that's kind of like what speedrunners do, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah. I, that said, um, I will say our hit reg has dramatically improved. So it's not like this is just a stagnant problem. It's just you know, it's a really hard problem. And and frankly, my team just hasn't had the time to focus on it like they should um and so hopefully you know things like the customization and stuff can allow us to focus on more core issues to the game experience and less the ancillaries that are lacking that people really focus on and cite as why they don't want to play the game right um but yeah you know like there will be a day when shotguns feel good and occupy multiple roles and just they just work you know i don't think you know like again you play the halo shotgun it works fine it's not like a shotgun can't be done you know so yeah for sure um and stockless weapons are way more fun so that that, that is true that is true although god i i have one uh, i have a 12 gauge at home that uh absolutely wrecks my wrist every time i try to use it oh does, does it not have a bird's head does it have a pistol grip on it or yeah no it's a it's a good old-fashioned it's uh one of those mossbergs where it's like if it shakes and rattles it's ready for battle um <laughs> so that, god that thing hurts uh, no school. yeah exactly exactly yeah yeah i like and that actually so um jesse is um our um art lead um and he is also a gun nut and i also i'm i'm like i'm a gun nut but i only own one gun so you know i just i'm a nut of many things it turns out um and they all cost a lot of money so um the that is to say i just don't have any funds for guns or anything really uh my my point is that um yeah, Jesse and I talk a lot about the design of weapons, and um, we pretty deeply consider, uh, yeah, because it's like easy to just make a gun, and it's like, well, I just want it to have a long reload time, and you can just come up with an animation to do that, right? But it's like, if you want a long reload time, don't pick an AR-15 platform rifle, right? Because you know those, you can see all these like gun tubers demonstrate how to very rapidly reload those weapons which is why the AP-25 is an AR-15 platformer, or analogous, it's not really an AR-15, right? Well, it, it, um, it's uh, it's the placeholder for it. It's a 5.56 carbine. Yeah. And it has a similar manual of arms, right? And, and like, you know, I just noticed when I was looking at Kevin's animation the other day, I was like, oh, he doesn't use the bolt, re- bolt release when he emergency reloads, right? And, like, we should do something about that, you know? So it's like we're both very... Um, uh, deep in our appreciation of guns, and we selected the the tub has a pistol grip precisely for that reason, so that it it has justifiably more recoil. And you can imagine that these things would be like loaded with the most magnum ammunition available, well, right? You, like, you're using, if I remember in the game correctly, it's double lot buck. Yeah, that's what it says. Yeah, right? so I mean, that's you know, just in my head, that automatically where it, where it goes. 
Yeah, so something that I'd like to do is basically, you know, because people were talking about um, uh, the armor system that we have, right, which is just sort of like kind of a bigger health pool right now. Um, I would like to make it more nuanced. It's kind of a not priority, right? Again, that's like adds magic, doesn't fix problems, really. We'll get to in a few years, right? Um, yeah. But something I'd like to uh, consider is like, uh, as our design philosophy for the guns on the, the defender end is your adversary is always enforcers and your guns should have been adapted to fight an adversary that is covered head to toe in, you know, hyper advanced, uh, you know, body armor, right? Yeah. The likes of which we have never seen in today's era, you know, because it's the future. So what does that mean? You know, like it means that like your shotgun, right, would probably be firing some kind of, I don't know, like a maybe a flashé round or something, right? Like something that has the uh, weight and the shape to defeat armor, right? And like that's sort of like what I'm after, right? And it's like even because you know, you're like, okay, well, there are a lot of nine mil guns, right? But if you look at there's like a guy. Uh, one of those like libertarians with a 3D printer and uh, really big on the Second Amendment, right? He yeah. uh, makes um, little nine mil rounds that are actually uh, armor piercing, like real armor, not like soft armor. Like can yeah, go through and... can go through some of the crappier level three plates out there. Yeah, and it's like holy shit, dude! Like a nine mil just went through a plate. Are you kidding me? Right? I think they're called like the Dagny Dagger or something. <laughs> interesting um yeah and so i would just say like that's something i want to do in the future is like really consider okay how do they get through how does the armor react to this right obviously these guys aren't just wearing metal plate because they would just stop certain route like certain guns would just be totally useless and other guns would not be they would be immediate kills so that would be bad so it's hyper armor that behaves in some non-newtonian way that justifies how you can pull it down you know for sure. I, I always like, um, uh, speaking of like super advanced armor and what has to come out of like a shotgun to, to defeat that. I always think of like the really creative, like Warhammer 40 K solution where the, like out, out of the bolter, the, the lore is that it's, it's essentially just a mini missile that it's is literally, game, basically it's li no, but the, the bullet itself is yeah. rocket propelled mm -hmm. and then explodes okay. on impact. Which is why they, which is how they explain that it can go through this like super advanced armor and everything. So it's like um, the like a gunshot assisted gyrojet. Yeah, basically, yeah. It's uh, if for whatever reason it's uh self propelled but still like gas operated. It's it's very you know. Uh, well, yeah, that's what I mean. It's like basically you've got there's a the casing. They they fire casings, right? The bolters. I, I, whenever I remember bolters, Space I Marines, they've got. Shells. They fire the entire I think bullet. they do. Dude, dude, fuck, like... fuck caseless ammunition for video games. There's no point in ever doing it. You just deprive people of the joy of all this the shells dropping, right? Like yeah. what's the you know, unless you want to like make future gun like anyway. the the only bad part about casings is cleaning them up, and you don't have to do that in a video game. Exactly. You want as many as possible, you know. You want to do the stupid shit where it's like a gun makes two casings, you know? Anyway, oh, yeah. um, <laughs> my, my point, though, is uh, 
uh, yeah, like the the I think the way the bolter operates is it shoots a normal projectile, right? Like it, it I should say it, it shoots an abnormal projectile normally, and then that projectile probably rocket assists afterward. Yeah, right? probably a, a our, you know RPG format where after said distance is cleared, ignites or something. Yeah, which is, I think, really fucking cool, right? Like, I, I love the ballistic simulation War Thunder. I think that's really, really mm-hmm. deep and interesting. I just, um, it's it's the, uh, the the game around the tanks that I can't stand. I think the tanks themselves are really, really cool. There's a reason why I never played that, what's the other, World of Tanks, right? Like, oh, yeah, World of Tanks. No one likes that game. I, I make that, like, you know, the, what's his face? Clint Eastwood reading the newspaper face. <laughs> oh yeah, um, yeah. So I, I would. I, I obviously we're not going to have like a ballistic simulation in our game, um, but you can't. You can't do that with for a what, future game. I would love to do that. You know? Yeah, do process too. Well, it's it's just not. It's uh, in inconsistent. Like the you want, mm-hmm. you know, you play a game like Tarkov, right? And it's like, well. You put on all this armor, right? But this guy shot you. Basically, one day it'll be he shot you in the side of the torso, and your plate didn't protect you, and you died. Right? He vibe checked if you put in your side <laughs> plates that day. Exactly, right? All, all, all yeah. the memes about certain alphabet agencies. Yeah, and so like, uh, we don't want that in our game, right? Like, you want it to be consistent, you know? Um, but. Uh, yeah, so, but that's why we chose the arcade theme, right? We didn't make an arcade game to have like totally realistic ballistic simulation. Otherwise, we would have made a game that looks much more like a another tactical shooter, right? Like we chose this world very specifically to liberate ourselves from the constraints of realism because unfortunately, they're kind of counterproductive, right? And I think honestly, what games sort of um, expose is a lot of the tactics that SWAT teams use are bad. Like they only work because your adversary is dumb, you know. Like, well, yeah. There's a, there's also a really um. I, I don't know. There's some really great talk about stuff like that, where oh, it's okay. uh the the best way to clear a building is to level it. Like that's absolutely the best yeah. way to do it. Here's the building. Yes, there's no yeah. way. Well, um, exactly. But it's like, because going in is always a dangerous uh, option, and it's uh. Right. It's. And- yeah, and... and that's why modern SWAT teams, the ones that like um, have uh, had reason to update their SOP, my understanding is that they actually use uh, limited entry strategies like Rainbow Six Siege far more often. That is to say, open up a hole and peek through it rather than like enter a dangerous building right where you can step on booby traps or all the other horrible things that happen to you in Siege, right? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it makes a lot of sense. That's not fucking fun. You want dynamic entries. So we, yeah. made, we made an arcade yeah. game, you know? Well, that and also yeah. you guys have very wide open spaces. Like uh, all the uh, hyper-realistic, you know, it's like, <laughs> but, oh, we're, we but, suddenly have like open concept houses. And it's like, I, you know, the only thing open in at least like uh, my house is my kitchen. Everything else is like a hallway, <laughs> which is yeah. not, not fun. It's anti-fun. And then uh, everything in the house is actually concealment and not cover, which is even worse. <laughs> I think that actually brings up a good point that um, you could probably make a really good SWAT game. There, there was a VR SWAT game called like, um, ah, shit, 
it's it's called zero hour, but it's not zero hour. It's like oh, um, I know what you're talking about. Prefix know, yeah. zero hour. I don't know what yeah, I know the what you, name yeah. Was, right? Firewall. That's what it was called, right? Because you had to like <laughs> you had to go kill people to go hack the computer, <laughs> you know, because that makes sense. So, um, but yeah, like if you think about it, the thing that VR games do really awful is moving around in really big spaces, but they do room size spaces really well. <laughs> so like your ideal VR SWAT game is actually in Zombie Bacon's house, you know, like you just yeah. in tiny cramped rooms and it's all about like the... Uh, you, you like watch like the YouTube operators, right? They will move very deliberately trying to minimize their exposure and maximize, say, uh, their ability to jump out of gunfire and that kind of stuff when clearing corners and that kind of stuff. And it's like, that's kind of what you would be doing in VR. It's all about the little movements, you know, like just how you step is so important. You know? Well, that you have much greater index control of your weapon. You know, it's like uh, I've yeah. done some classes like that with CQB, where um, I, I was trained with high ready, and then having to learn the difference. Which this is all very nerdy gun stuff, and I'll let Donut ask a question after this. But it's like the differences in like uh, there was there's a low ready where you actually index a stock past your face behind your shoulder, yeah. so you can more efficiently enter the doorway while still having your muzzle at the ready. Um, and it's just like that's from the past 40 years of of uh, people only doing CQB in places that really suck. So I, I'm done talking. Totally. It's all done from so here. With really long ass guns that have mm -hmm. like 16 inch barrels and suppressors on top of them. So it's, yeah, yeah, like, I mean, yeah. Jesse and I will LARP in his house and just like do those retention holds clearing it together, you know? So it's like, <laughs> I hear you, dude. I'm a fucking gun nut too. Like, uh, I just, uh, yeah, I, I I wish you could make all of that stuff matter in our game more. It's just you know again like, uh, it's tough to balance things, you know, and and not like um the game balance that's comparatively easy. It's just tough to balance priorities, you know. Um, but yeah, like all that kind of stuff is is really really cool, and and that's kind of like why the, um, enforcer guns are the way they are. Is they're they're built with the CQB re like you know these guys are supposed to be like professional soldiers that run around town doing this shit three times a day apparently right like mm -hmm. yeah all their guns are built to capitalize on um their position right and it's like yeah you've got this tiny uh recoil balance uh ar right which has a way too short of a barrel but um Precisely That's because true. it's supposed to still penetrate some amount of armor, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you'll notice those little cute plate carriers the defenders have now in some of the customizations, right? Um, yeah, that, that's wise because it still has to be, you know, not useless, but uh, you also don't want, you know, I mean, I think those uh, long AR-15s are actually quite beautiful, um, but... Uh, they they yeah, are gorgeous, yeah. but it's I, I'm building a Mark 12 right now, um, yeah. mod mod one, and um, I love it. It's a gorgeous thing to look at, but I don't want to like have to enter a house with it, 18 inches of barrel and a fixed stock. Like that's oh, just dude, yeah. that's that's gonna make me. I'm gonna like shove my I'm gonna shove the scope in my teeth so many times too. Yeah, and I'm personally partial to bullpups just because I have weak noodle arms, so. 
I uh, mm. just I don't like long, heavy barrels. Like even just like a normal AKM with like a the donger wood grip is just like oh my, that's awful. Who would want this gun? You know. Anyway, um, Mr. Mr. Donut, uh, we we cede the floor to you because we've been dominating this discussion with gun gun talk. You think someone from Texas would know a lot about guns? I am from Texas. <laughs> oh, okay. zombie! I don't. <laughs> I oh yeah. You, I thought you were from Texas or something. Yeah. Is everyone from Texas? What's going on? No, Roach is Irish. Uh, oh. Zombie. Yeah, but. Well, I, I moved I mean, away from the Texas, but I, I was more Texas nah. than Donut. That's all I got. Yeah, that, that basically has. <laughs> I, I rode horses. I was a cowboy. <laughs> rode well, that's cows. No. <laughs> No, I'll um, off, off the donut. Sorry, I'll stop talking. <laughs> no, I'm just laughing about all of it. Uh, you, you know, you said it's like, oh, you want a very tactical game. Isn't the game's uh, like thing? It's that, oh, it's the thinking man shooter, right? Yeah, you know, that, that's at least what's on the website. Um, I mean, so far, you know, recently this this game and at least its history has been very like fast, very rush based. You know, the best strategy is breach and run and flash a lot and you know, and I really wanted to kind of ask is that if when it comes to a tactical shooter, is this like the design you want in this tactical shooter? Very fast, very rush based, no, you know, no. a flash and run, or is it more, do you want to slow the game down? And if so, how are you going to slow this down? Uh, I want to, I want to give you the option between slow and fast, right? Like, because in like, here's what I want to do. I want to give you a reality, right? The virtual reality of the game. Um, and then I want to make that reality, um, call it tastefully reflective of our own reality. And by that, I mean, again, certain things like um, one-shot headshots. I like, I toyed with the idea of like, well, maybe we should try it and see just how bad it is, right? Because um, it is satisfying to model reality, right? Like feels good. That's why so many games have realism as a core aesthetic, right? Um, but on the other hand, I just kind of have a hunch that, it, like, unfortunately, reality just kind of falls apart when you put it in a game because games aren't real, you know? Like, that's the delta between all of that SWAT cool guy shit that you see in real life um, doesn't scale to a game because in a game you can just risk it to get the biscuit and it actually pans out a lot, right? Like, it's surprisingly effective. And so, um, yeah, I, I'm basically just trying to say that I would like to um, support both play styles as best as possible. Uh, and I know that kind of sounds like a non-answer, right? But it's like, yeah, so the key may be s slowing down certain actions, right? Um, but where I kind of draw the line is it's like, I don't like games that make me move arbitrarily slower than um, I would actually move in the situation, you know? Like, someone's shooting at me, I'm going to be fucking brisk about it, you know? Like, I'm not going to... You know, because like, you, you watch games like Squad where it's like, oh, I'm doing my reload, I got to... I got to index my magazine and put it in and oh i got a brass check make sure i'm in battery okay i'm ready to fight no it's like you're about to fucking die dude procedure goes right out the window like if anything they would 
be modeling more like the panic of like, I can't put this mag in. I have too much adrenaline in my body. Right. Um, but obviously all that kind of stuff feels really, um, bad when you actually put it in a game. Um, I mean, people really like jamming. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I would just, again, say that it's like really what we want to do is make a game where it's like, uh, uh, let, me, let me put it this way. I think it can encapsulate this quite simply um, without addressing exactly what will happen to movement speed, because frankly, I don't know. Um, you, you look at these like Argus dudes, right? And you think about who they're supposed to be. They're like a future incarnation of the YouTube operator, right? Like they are the reflection of that fantasy brought to life and then capitalized on right that's in fact that's the mechanism that brings a fantasy to life um and what that means is basically these are guys that do a lot of weightlifting. they uh probably um you know do testosterone therapies and and Gotta get that other stuff, get right? The gains, you know. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you're not going to live too long, who cares what the long-term health effects are? Um, and like, I'm just trying to say, these guys probably have pretty sick verticals from doing all the CrossFit box jumps they do, right? <laughs> like, there's no reason why they can't just jump on top of that massive desk inside loans, right? Um, why that exists right now is because. Um, predictability is key. And when you have people in like weird positions in the map, I mean, ask alpha players what old factory used to be like, and they may wax poetic about like, say how it's visual design was much more dynamic, right? It's less, um, monotone. Um, but they will also recall just how awful it was that you could basically get on top of anything in that thing. And a lot of factory was basic. It was sort of like the the Ewok scene from. Uh, <laughs> Valdis is laughing next to me. Uh, the Ewok scene from Star Wars, right? Where they, people are just Hi, shooting at you from high in the trees, or uh, in this case, like industrial canisters, and you. It was just a nightmare, you know. And it's totally unplanable. So that's if there's any kind of like issue with the freedom of movement and expression, it typically stems from that. When it comes to just too fast, right? Or I'm sorry, if if it's if the um, complaint is things are too slow, it's like yeah. But if we make you go much faster, then it's like this is now Titanfall. It's not due process. It's not. It's it's more of a movement game and about reflex and less about actually planning and executing. If the complaint is this game isn't slow enough, then it's like. Um, it's also not, uh, I guess, an arbitrarily slow shooter where it just seems like there's a ten, uh, tendency in tactical shooters to like deprive you of uh, the speed of certain actions to force tactical, and that's not how I want to do it. I just want the the tactics to matter because they have, you know, it's just like when you kick down a door in this game, right? Like you often face, I mean, technically you're supposed to like kill them or knock them over or something, right? But yeah, we typically the, the alpha stuff. With, you with can still play. Indoors, yeah, people. and you, you can play around that, right? By just don't stand in front of the door with a shotgun, stand slightly oblique so that when the door swings open or falls off the hinges, you don't die. 
easy. Oh, now, yeah. now you shoot him in the face, right? Like there's still that danger. It just shouldn't be like brain dead. Um, yeah, you don't kick doors if there's a guy on the other side of them, right? Because he's going to shoot through the fucking door. Uh, that's why you have the shotgun. That Those procedures, right, exist for a reason. And I want people to use the procedures because they they give you something and not like, you know, like, I don't know, that Medal of Honor game has like 12 ways to breach a door and none of them fucking matter. Like you can tomahawk open a door and it's no different than like using an explosive charge or doing any number of other ways to like open a door. And it's like, why would you make this? Like, it's just awful waste of time. You should have just made the game where it's like you touch the guy in front of you on the shoulder and then he kicks the door and you like sweep the room together. It's like way, way cooler. So I, I want to make that game and I want you to like do all that stuff because it's like, that's the meta. The meta is um, obeying the... Um, procedures of room clearing the ones that actually make sense and not the like nonsense ones because there's so you like, want the, a lot of nonsense you know so you want the meta to be like reflective of real life instead of the kick door throw flash run type style yeah totally you know, yeah. That, that it that it has dominated since yeah i don't know you know forever i would like for you know your procedure to be that one guy shotguns open a door right and then the second man is covering over his shoulder and denying people the shot on him. And then the third man banks that flashbang very precisely off the door sill so that no one can look at that door sill, allowing man number two to hook left and man three to cross right. And they, they cover this and they actually coordinate this movement, right? Like that's where I'd like to get to in the long run. And obviously yeah. a game where it's just like people just throw flashbangs willy-nilly all over the place is not reflective of that. But hey, it's a start. I mean, you know, some of you guys use that planning phase. That's more than I can say about any other first-person shooter. So, <laughs> yeah, but you know, there's a lot of I would say depth to to this game. You know, and whether that be uh, like the planning phase or just the uh, all the minute minutia of you know how to how to read a map, how to then plan, make a plan for that map, and. Um, with a lot of minutia comes a lot of complexity, and there's a lot of hidden complexity to the game. I think that's like not. I think that's not like uh, argued in any way, shape, or form. You know, and with now this new update, with of course now a lot of new attention, hopefully that comes to it. There has been something lacking, and that's the new player experience. The new player <laughs> yes, experience, yes. you know. And now this this may be a bit of a tough question. And I'm sorry if it is, but it's it's very tough for lack of a better word. You know, I've seen level 300, well, 300 game count players put barbs in front of red doors, you know? And still, I really just kind of was want to ask you. Was that a new player you, experience problem, though? Yeah, is that like a new, was that a new player experience problem? Is that like the game not teaching you? If, or them if not there punished? ever was a skill issue. That, that okay, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think that's, that's a skill, skill issue. That's just, that's just a brain issue. Like, vacancy of the cranium. That's all that is. I would say that learning is a skill. But yeah, um, yeah, I, I don't, I mean, that's quite staggering, right? Um, I'm sorry to whoever that is. Uh, I mean, no offense, but it, it is, um, it was very much intended that, yeah, you know, like it, every, it, listen, you only get so many um, chances to 
tell people something in a new player experience, right? Like you can't just have think about it this way, right? I'm sure you guys have all played board games, right? And you, you want to learn a new board game, right? And it's typically that friend who really likes board games um, wants to explain to you all the rules, right? And all the ramifications of that board game. And you're going to sit there for like 40 minutes for an info dump and you're going to retain none of it. You know, it was just a total waste of time. And that's pretty much how most rule books are constructed for board games, right? Like they don't, you think about a board game, they just like, here, here are the rules is like the full extent of the new player experience, right? And no one intentionally goes about like, okay, well, we'll play this very simple version of Settlers of Catan. And then once you guys have played this mini version, right, we'll introduce these new elements and then expand. And that's like a game that's pretty good on the new player experience, by the way, right? Like, but it could be better. It could be done basically how video games do it, right? Where Mario teaches you to jump first and then it teaches you the next skill. And I don't really remember how one one works anymore, but you know, like it's all very layered and sensible, right? I guess it teaches you go right first, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, my point is this, is that um, there are only so many concepts that Mario endeavors to teach you at the very beginning, right? And it layers these out and staggers them. And basically, if you make a tutorial level, which by the way, you know, you can, the metrics for people going into training are not very encouraging, you know, like it's not over 50%. So it's like the new player experience, people are, are like, oh, well, why aren't you info dump the players so they know things like the nuance of don't place barbed wire over red doors. And I say, well, no, it's very much intentional that I, I expect them to learn from their mistakes, which is why I'm, okay, I'm kind of disappointed in you, 300 guy. Um, yeah, you like the point is you're probably looking at the red door and you see it blow up and then your barbed wire is gone. One day you notice and you're like, oh, the light goes on. You're like, fuck, you can't do that, right? Or crucially, your friends tell you or like people in the match will be like, don't do that, right? That's another way. So the new player experience is way more than just like a tutorial. Uh, that said, uh, yeah, there's a lot of things that we have to communicate, a lot of things that aren't um, obvious, a lot of things that other games simply resort to by um, just slapping a giant um, warning on your screen, you know, in Rainbow Six Siege. If you go outside, right, they're like, you are being spotted, right? And it's really, they like piss all over your screen and do all sorts of stuff to like fuck with you it's so like you go back not, inside. Yeah. Yeah. And... In our game, it's like, yeah, there's just like this weird noise and then you're dead. And you're like, oh, okay. And so that's really bad, right? Like that's the kind of stuff that keeps my me up at night on new player experiences because the new player experience isn't really to teach people, right? It's basically just to teach them enough so that they don't die in a way that makes them feel bad and the, then increase their likelihood of quitting the game. But if it, if it takes you a while to pick up on certain skills and nuances, like why the shotgun is valuable, that's okay. I mean, like, you know, just think about, like, if a player is, say, I don't know, 12 years old or something, right? They're not going to get everything immediately, right? And when when you're dealing with kids, you're supposed to be very patient with them, you know? And so, I, like, I yeah, I, I hear you. I just think that um, 
while we certainly don't do enough for the new player experience, and that is something that's really hurting us, um, I, I would say that the it's a hard problem to solve because the answer is not as simple as, oh, just put in the tutorial, right? We're pretty much already at the maximum for what a tutorial can really teach you. And, and what we chose to give you is very deliberate. Like, here's how to go through the first door is basically what the tutorial is focused on, you know? Did okay. I lose uh, you guys? Or? No, I mean, that, like, I was just yeah, writing I was just processing down, a lot of information. I'm processing a lot of. Uh, the, the, info, the, you know. Donut is. Uh, if you call me slow, it's the god zombie. I was going to call you slow. <laughs> I just said you were in awe. Yeah. You know, yeah. Your, your ability, Donut, you could do math really well. But the one thing it, in, in life, you're a guy who barbs red doors. I don't <laughs> even want to hear it. Damn, call down. Hey, dude, uh, yeah, you can I do a tactical red door barb. It might be the oh, yeah. drug point for Yeah, but you kick it. But that's eco, where right? you kick the red door. You kick it, and then you barb it. That's, that's ah. the big brain play. Yeah. yeah. Now, speaking of, uh, speaking of this sort of map conversation, um, and I, I know this is kind of probably not the right way to ask this, but um, with your discussion on what you want the game to feel like, is there a particular tile set or map um, that you feel is the closest of all the others that portrays that style of gameplay? Um, and I understand there's a lot more nuances that go into that, but is it like, uh, I'm trying to think from a player perspective, like what could help me understand that? Is it, is it like a C-store? Yeah, I, I would or, say that the C-store is probably the um, most reflective of our SWAT fantasy, right? Mm -hmm. um, I, the c really has a bad problem right now, which we're working on solving, which is that um, if it's in the map rotation, then people will just save the wall charge for it because it's just so good to wall charge the um, shutters, you know? Well, there's oh, one I'd... way to do that is not have a storefront bomb. Oh my God. If we want to go into storefront bomb, we can go into storefront. Yeah, let me let me tell you that. why I think that's bad. Um, I think that the purpose of the bomb is to set up the most interesting final firefight. You're, you know, like in the Boondock Saints when uh, what's his? Who's in the Boondock Saints? Falls. No, the yeah, Willem Dafoe. He goes. There was a firefight, right? Like, you know, you want that level of drama and reverence for what happened. And that's not going to happen if you just shove it in the back room. Most of those gunfights that happen in like um, a tight storage or whatever with a bomb, which, by the way, like, how the fuck do they even get the bomb through the door? Um, anyway, my point is, it, uh, they just suck. Like it, it really just amounts to a lot of wall banging and there's just not a lot of um, drama in the last fight. And I think that is gross and lame. However, I really do like the gunfights that come out of storefront bomb when people don't just, you know, obviously just rush it. So uh, what I mean by that is it's like what we're trying to focus on is... Um, you know, you want to take these uh, back rooms covering the bomb so that you can gain line of sight onto the enemy positions that 
would be covering the bomb, right? Or you can flank them and, and move on to them and, and capture them that way. And I basically want like it to be a real big problem of how do we solve the uh, gaining, you know, because it's like a territory game, right? Like you want to deny enough real estate to the enemy that their position is either totally predictable um, and thus can be covered or um, totally ineffective. And, you know, that is to say, it's like you have secured bomb site and the only way to it is through the uh, bathroom door and you're diffusing and someone just covers the door for you, right? Like, that's all good. Like, I, I really like that stuff. Uh, we just have to solve the rush. That's just a different problem. Um, if, if you just put it in a back room, then what I noticed is people just kind of like, okay, what's the shortest route to get to the bomb? Because that's all they're doing with the storefront rush is like, what's the shortest way to get there? What's the least complicated? Like, what can we like not fuck up, right? That's why they do it. So we want to make that challenge way more challenging, make you think through it and be like, well, if we can hold this, you know, it's like we want the like, we want the fucking shutter button to matter, right? It's like, oh, yeah, we want eco so that we could wall charge into this. And that gives us like an L-shaped angle on bomb site. And we also opened up the, you know, what produces the L is we open up the shutters. And now this guy's shooting into freezer with a saber and like all that good stuff happening, right? Like, and you just, that all just goes out the window. If you just put the bomb in the back room, you know, like it's just like, just go to the room, just throw flashbangs until you win. Everyone's dead. So that's why I don't like this. Um, yeah, got it. Now, speaking of tile sets, uh, along with customization, I think we've kind of unfortunately glossed over it. We've also had the release of Bank, and I know Donut has been dying to ask stuff about Bank. Um, that's, that's, that's one thing he couldn't stop talking about before the podcast, actually. Oh, shoot. So, I mean, there's a lot of things we can walk through Bank, you know, and I think one of the big things is that, like, What's the intent behind it? What's the design process behind it? Why'd you guys choose a bank, you know? That's a what great do you question. want this to fulfill in due process, you know? Like what's the it, was it heat? <laughs> was it, Obviously, yeah. when we said we're doing the bank, where all the heat memes came and, you know, uh, we wanted to have, like, you know, a bunch of... Yeah, heat came up. Um, it's... Uh, how do I put this? The design process is a great question because um, what produced the dome was uh, basically we had this background scene that I thought didn't work for the kill house. I really didn't like it. Um, and I wanted the kill house to actually take advantage of something quite specific and you like basically i don't know what you guys thought of the winter update but i remember a lot of snow goes crunch and people really liked the kill house right um i'm sorry the the winter kill house right um yeah i liked it at least yeah and what i think is really cool about the outdoor kill house is it's one of the few levels that we can have where it's like well, if we have the mechanism of don't go outside, because if we don't have it, then it's like find now an oblique way to camp the truck, right? Um, then 
uh, you know, like you really just can't have any outside levels. That's that kind of sucks, right? Uh, now I know that it's like a game about room clearing, all that kind of stuff, but it's fun to see the sky and be outside. And it's like people like walking around and say the background scene of even the sea store and then looking up and like, well, that's really cool, man. Right. And like, I wanted to have a gunfight actually happen outside and crucially be lit by the sun, you know, because otherwise it's like always this like nighttime game. Um, and yeah, so we put the kill house in its present location to fulfill that mission. And I really like the results. It means that whenever we do like um, holiday events and that kind of stuff, there's obvious ways that we could change the kill house to do um, cool, you know, mood changes that are kind of like low, low cost in terms of production, right? Um, which is awesome. Uh, but it's mostly just because like, I think that the iconic Halo map is Blood Gulch, and the key to Blood Gulch is it's outside. No Blood Gulch if you just put... It's in the Rock Dome, right? People are like, I don't like Blood Gulch anymore, right? Like, it's idyllic. There's, like, green grass, and there's something about that juxtaposition of the violence with the, like, idyllic landscape that works, and that's what I wanted to see come out of the Kill House. So that meant we had, like what do we do with this massive background scene we spent all this time on? And Killdown basically was, well, okay, let's make it the death game show that it was supposed to be, um, but uh, let's actually make it feel like a game show and not like a junkyard got put inside a stadium. And um, now that led to some decisions that I think are still unpopular. Um, but the that process was very top down and it was uh, very, um, it was directed fundamentally by a need to fulfill an art mandate, which is, you know, we've got a background scene, let's find a level for it. Um, and I think what that produced in the end was a level that, that has a lot of virtues that I really like. Um, but that process was totally ass backward and not how I want to make a game, right? Like, I think you should start with design first and not find the design that comes out of art because there's like a lot of, you know, sacrifices that have to be made to make something that's coherent and works in, in all parameters. Um, so yeah, like again, if there's anything bad about uh, the dome that you don't like, then I'm the one who probably is why that is. Um, but on the other hand, the bank was created in the totally opposite way, which was, as many players correctly predicted, uh, the kill house was being prototyped for the bank level, right? Uh, when they saw the vault, uh, people were predicting this. But the, the way that it was prototyped is crucial, which is we tried a cool thing out in the kill house, and people really liked it, and I really liked it. Like, it had... A lot of uh, great gameplay, the the vault door opening mechanic, and then we experimented with um, variations, like we did the airlock stuff. Um, and then once we got the data we wanted, we kind of didn't make as many vault levels. I, they would come back and kind of perennially, perennially pop up, but we started focusing on okay, well, we know that the next level is going to have to be something with a vault in it, and I was like. I think it was me, I, I don't know, maybe someone else, but I, I know that I would say 
we should play it straight and just do there's it's a vault that should be a bank. I mean, bank robberies. That's cool. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean like that's, that's how it came to be. And this was very much uh grants baby. And he, um, I think I threw plenty of curveballs at him and forced him to explore a lot of options. And in that way, it wasn't completely, um, his own process, right? Which I, I think is somewhat of a criticism of my technique, right? Would you but, say it was a due process? I'm sorry. Oh, God. Oh, my God, zombie. I want you. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the result was we tried a lot of different things and eventually found um, a setup that worked um, that we believe really well. And um, yeah, it was all just... The, the key was the impetus for the level was we found a great core mechanic, what I would call a secondary objective. Um, and we made a level around it. And I mean, like earlier on with the bank, we had like a breaker in it, right? And we tested it out because it yeah. is like really cool, like to hit the power and now the, the vault door doesn't work, right? But then we were like, well, yeah. And like, it would also cause like the man traps to either fail, open, or closed in varying uh, iterations. It would do like multiple iterations. Of well, it, and, fail, and yeah. then at that point, it seems like, why don't, as a defender, why don't I just turn off power all the time? Because then you have three objectives to defend instead of two. You, you de facto make Precisely, a tertiary. Yeah. yeah. And, and basically, we just erred on the side of simplicity and said, you know what? Fuck it. We should just have the secondary objective is the vault that's bad enough as it is it's really really difficult um we don't need to stack the power on top of it and because of that it became a daylight level which i'm all for um and uh what else yeah i i would just say that like basically that was grant coming into his own as a level designer and really authoring a concept i mean he's the one who did the vault and um yeah he got a whole level that he made pretty much by himself out of it. And so I'm, I'm very proud of him and I hope he uh, he's proud of his work too. That's it's very exciting, you know, just to kind of hear the process, uh, the due process of, you know, the, the development. Please you, can't me, you can't give me shit for that joke and then go and make <laughs> the same joke. Like, like Donut, Donut, just because I'm funnier than you doesn't mean you have to steal Yeah, I'm going to steal, steal, steal all your jokes from now. I'm going to start stealing all your jokes from now. It's not even a good shot, dude. Like, exactly. It, it was made as a dad joke. And you know what? I'm... I'm not taking this from a red door barber. I'm not doing that. Oh my god, is that going to be like the new the new insult? Can you assign you that barber? role to him? Or? Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to make it. He can. I mean, you can do it in the uh, in like in any server. So. Yeah, Donna is the official red door barber. But um, uh, we're getting uh, this is probably the longest podcast episode. Two hours ever done. and sixteen minutes so far. Yeah, definitely getting up there. I'm a machine. I'm a machine. I, I can talk for days. Uh, it's yeah. I fortunately that's my team. Fortunately, it's really like fascinating talking, at least for me. Um, yeah, yeah, at least yeah. I think don't, I don't it's a little uh, little I'll light on the me. comprehension reading, but you know. <laughs> anyway, um, Bard, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate mm -hmm. uh, you taking the time out of your incredibly busy busy schedule to come and spend two hours with two um, dumbasses. Dumb fuck. Yeah, two yeah, dumb yeah, fucks. yeah, yeah. 
Uh, you guys are the smartest dumb fucks I ever met. So. <laughs> hey yo, we're moving yeah, on up. Oh, there we go, on, zombie. We got the confirmation. To the east side. Sorry. No. <laughs> but yeah, before you go, is there any like thing you want to say? Any you know any to I guess really us the people watching you know whatever. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm kind of munching on a donut. One sec. Oh. Ooh. Oh. No. Not not in that way. Don't don't make it like that. Um, <laughs> I my point. Make it like anything. My point is. Um, or I guess what I wanted to say is uh, I'm very, very grateful to the DPL. Um, it is extraordinarily difficult um, making a game like this um, and doing so with basically no experience. Um, we are all human too, and I think the DPL has been a fantastic source of inspiration for me and the entire team. Um, it really keeps us going because it does show that people, in spite of the struggle that this game has been, um, some people really, really give a shit about it, and that's a great sign. And I don't think that if the DPL, uh, if the DPL didn't exist, I think we would have just been done by now. So, um, yeah, I, I'm just really profoundly grateful to you guys, and, and I really enjoy watching the games. And I'm sorry that I'm not always able to watch all of them, but. Um, yeah, I, I just um, thank you. That, that's all I'm trying to say. And, no, and we all love the players of the league as well. So, um, yeah, and I'd be happy to hop on some other time and talk for two more hours. So, hey, gladly. You know, we'll have to do this some other time. Maybe next big update. You know. Yeah, more months. Really. <laughs> yeah, it'll it'll be it'll be good to have you back. Or if. Uh, you're ever feeling like uh, you just watched a really rough game and you want to come shit talk? Come, yeah, we, we we won't do the podcast. We'll bring you on the scuffed cast. Oh um, my god, that's uh, that's when it gets to like it gets. That's what, like uh, <laughs> well, the last podcast we did or the last scuffed cast we did with uh, Chi, uh, Donna refuses to upload that to YouTube. No, I'll do that in like six being, months. Objectively, one of the best podcasts we've done, where we exited the podcast and entered it by singing "Crazy Frog." <laughs> Oh God! Yeah, so, exactly. We we put on a boom. If you're down for some uh, dumb fuck shenanigans, we are here. I'll let you know. Um, okay, guys. Well, uh, very nice talking to you. Thanks for having me yeah. on. Thank you. For coming I really on. appreciate all appreciate the insightful it. questions as well. Um. All right. Bye. Yeah. All right, yeah, adios. Yeah, yeah, thank up, you man. everyone for watching. Uh, that's it. We're done. We're out of here. See you in two Peace. weeks when we have, I don't know. Shut up, Donna. We're on. <laughs> Fuck you, zombie.